Okay, just finished my 10x accelerator mentorship call uh, with Grant Cardone, and uh, I would like to debrief with all of you, if that's okay. So welcome to the Garrett cast. Wow, I just, I need time to process. I just got to talk to Uncle GC, Grant Cardone. So I was just on my mentorship call for the uh for the 10X Grant Cardone Accelerator Program. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Grant Cardone is a mentor of mine. I've been following for quite, well, for about a year now. So, um, you know, his book, Be Obsessed or Be Average, is kind of my Bible. So if you're kind of lost and you don't know what to do in life and you need direction, uh, that's a great book to help you find your direction. So anyway, I've been doing a lot of workshops for marketing and sales, um, just personal development through his organization and through other organizations I've discovered around his. And anyway, so I'm on this marketing, I'm on this coaching call. He does this once every week. And the call is basically, you know, it's about two hours. There's like six, four to 600 people on every call. It's a Zoom meeting. And, the, you know, there's usually a subject like sales or motivate, uh, motivation, scaling your business, and marketing, promoting your brand, you know, whatever it is, hiring. Uh, and usually there's, uh, you know, one of his staff is typically on the call, but every once in a while um, he's on the call himself, Grant Cardone is, and uh, he answers questions and does role plays with people just super incredible. And anyway, so this week he was, he was on the call and, you know, the call starts and right off the bat, um, they usually pick one person who's been really active in the group to be, um, kind of, you know, to basically get 10 minutes to just talk about their business and get all of his help and advice. And so they started with that. Um, and then it was open to questions. Now in the email before the call, he said, hey, I'm going to be on the call. I'm going to answer all your questions. So you don't want to miss this, right? And, you know, there, there definitely was a part of me that was like, is he really going to answer all the questions? I mean, we're talking about four to 600 people, right, on this call. So that didn't seem likely. But I did kind of have it in my mind that, like, he's going to answer a lot of questions, right? And so I get on the call and... I have to admit, earlier today, you know, there's a muscle I've been developing lately. And I think everyone has this muscle. And it's probably, for a lot of people, a very weak muscle. And for me, it's a, it has, for most of my life, been an almost completely atrophied and unused muscle. But it's slowly gaining strength. And here's what the muscle is. It's the muscle that allows you to experience resistance when you want to do something, but you're afraid, right? You want to do something that scares you and you, you feel that moment of fear, doubt, consideration, you know, you, or rationalization. Oh, I don't know if I should do that. Well, maybe that's a bad decision. And it's, it's like a resistance that's kind of in your way. And the problem that I have had for most of my life is I've seen that, that obstacle, that bump in the road as a wall, a wall that's impossible to get through. 
it's like a like an unseen force and that's mostly because i look at something like that as well i believe my bullshit basically uh you know it's if if it's man i i can't ask that question in this crowded room i'll sound like an idiot well, for most of my life, I believed that proposition. I, I believed it. Like, no, I'm making a smart decision by keeping my mouth shut because this way, I mean, there was, there's a famous quote that I liked, which is um, better, better to be, wait up, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I used to love that quote. That was like one of my favorite quotes ever. It's attributed to Benjamin Franklin, but I don't know if it's really his or not. But, you know, and that's kind of the thing. It's like, I better not raise my hand. I better not ask a stupid question, right? That's fear. And seeing it as a wall is believing it's true. But there's a muscle, just like any muscle in the physical world, there's an emotional muscle that says, that's right, I'm a little bit afraid but up goes my hand and I'm going to ask this question. So going to the gym, working out, you know, you, I, I experience, you experience resistance. Literally you are there to experience resistance. It is the purpose of what you are doing. If you are not, if it is not somewhat difficult or fairly difficult to lift that weight, you're not lifting enough weight. You need to get a heavier weight, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've started to like do a curl. And at first I feel this moment of like, oh, I can't do this. And then I push through that first rep and then pretty soon my arm's moving and I do, you know, six, seven reps before I start to fatigue, right? So there's that moment of resistance and I push past it. And what happens? Your muscle gets bigger. It gets stronger and you become used to the experience of feeling that moment of I can't do it and pushing past it. So the emotional equivalent of this is when you experience fear or consideration holding you back in the real world and there's an emotional part of you that says, okay, I'm experiencing resistance and now I'm going to push past it. And I am developing that muscle and I have to tell you to, to keep it in the fitness metaphor, I think I'm making serious gains, brah. Like, yeah, brah. Really? I'm Like, look at that pump. Yeah, brah. So I am feeling that muscle get stronger in my life. And so getting back to the call. So I'm, I'm sitting in front of my computer, the Zoom call. You know, my hero is there on the call. Um, answering questions. And then they say, okay, we're going to throw it to questions now. Now, while he was answering that first 10 minutes, I had a thought, which was because there were like three people out of like, I think, what was there? Like 600 on that call. Three people out of 600 people had their hand raised. That's the little yellow hand in Zoom. You can click the button and Zoom says, oh, I've raised my hand, right? There were three, actually, no, there were probably like, I think there were three and then it it became like four five, and then like six people that had their hand raised. And a weird thing happened when I saw, it's like social proof, right? It's this use, you know, it's the herd mentality. I saw that only a handful of people had their hands raised and it created this weird confidence in me that everyone's question was going to get answered. Like everyone's going to get their turn. And that created a moment in my mind of doubt. 
And that moment of resistance came. And I said, you know what? I, I don't know if my question's really that good. I, you know, it, uh, maybe I'll raise my hand later or I'll wait until they explain the protocol. I figured a moderator was going to say something like, guys, if you have a question, raise your hand. Or guys, if you have a question, drop it in the chat. Or, you know, something like that. And it was like, wait, and, or guys, we're opening it up to questions. So now I would like your questions. I've been quite a rules follower my whole life. It's like a lot of a lot of people I know are not like this at all. They're like, oh, I think I found a way to get through that line without a wristband. And I'm like, well, you can't do that. You have to have a wristband. Like, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that's like, no, 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 no. We, can't, we can't hop over the fence because that's the point of the fence. The fence says you are supposed to stay on this side and the people with the wristband get to go on the other side. My sister, completely the opposite. She'll be like, dude, 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 hold my drink. I'm going to get us in here. And I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm just not that way. So I'm a rules follower. So immediately my mind goes to, I'm going to wait until they tell me how to submit my question and ask my question. And that was that moment. And that, and, and I even had that thought too. I'm like, this is, this is it. This is exactly what I've been thinking about lately. This is that part of me that waits. The part of me that believes the bullshit that I have a dumb question or this is too risky or I can't do this and, and doesn't act. And I'm tired. I am so tired of living my life that way. No human being should live their life that way. Not, not a single one. And I don't care what your individual issues are, what your problems are, what your past is or whatever has happened to you in your life. That is not a way to live. And I'm fighting like hell to become someone who never ever hesitates when there's something I set my sights on and want to do it. And Grant is that kind of person. He, I just am in constant awe of the man's answers to questions. The way he answers every single question, it blows me away because he answers in a way that most people find counterintuitive. And it's one reason why a lot of people think he's just crazy because he, because it's crazy to be fearless. Most people who appear to be fearless have a lot of fear. The only difference is they don't let that stop them. That muscle to power through the fear of rejection or the fear of failure is very strong. It's swole, brah. It's a swole muscle. It's swole, brah. And look at that pump, brah. And they are absolutely ready to crash through that wall to get what they want. And those people look like superheroes. And Grant is a superhero. He's like got a, he's superhuman, but he wasn't born that way, you know? So I'm trying to build that muscle too. So, so here I am, here's my moment. And I'm about to not raise my hand because of some stupid bullshit about I'm going to wait until they tell me to raise my hand. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow the rules. And then it just hit me. I'm like, dude, Grant Cardone is on this call right now. I have a question right now. This is my chance. What if he answers my question? What if this is my one shot to, I don't know, just get noticed, get recognized? You know, I just, I don't even know. Like, I got to be ready for this. And I just said, raise that hand. And so I clicked raise hand. And I also dropped my question in the chat. And one question got answered. Second question got answered, and then the moderator cat says, uh, you know, okay, our next question 
Garrett Betancourt has a question. And I'm like, uh, you know, the weird thing is I kind of expected to get called because A, I was one of the first to raise my hand in a group of like 600 people. So that was, you know, I was in the top 10 people who first raised their hands. So that was number one. But I also just kind of believed that he was going to answer a lot of questions. So even though I was sort of expecting a call, the moment it happened, it's like, it's surreal. I'm like, oh, it's I've, I just got called. And so, and then I'm on with Grant Cardone and it was, and it was super awkward too, because the Zoom was doing something weird where it stayed on the moderator's screen. And so I couldn't see Grant, but I could hear him. He's a, you know, and so I, but I just looked at the camera and I'm like, okay. And by the way, 600 people are now watching me on, you know, and ask this question so that I was standing up in a room full of 600 people virtually. I mean, that's kind of amazing when you think about it. That would have been even scarier in a real room. But so this is my hero, like just whoever your celebrity hero is, just imagine you now are face to face with him in a Zoom chat and you get to ask him a question like that's exactly how it felt. And I have to tell you, I start asking my question. And I started by saying, you know, hey, I read your book, Be Obsessed or Be Average. You know, it's like I'm trying to strike that balance between, I mean, I don't want to be a total sycophantic fanboy, but you know, I just, this is so, it's so amazing to meet you. But also not being, you know, I can't play it totally, Don Draper's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I guess I have a question. Uh, you know, do you want to, you want to sell makeup or not? Uh I wanted to strike the balance. I, how do you be authentic, but not a total slobbering idiot? I don't know. haven't figured that out. But I landed somewhere in the middle there, and I just said, it's a huge honor. I'm a little starstruck right now. I kind of wish I hadn't said that. But I'm glad I said it, because it was true. Uh, I, should, I shouldn't regret that. I said, I'm a little starstruck right now, and uh, I read your book, Be Obsessed or Be Average, and it changed my life. So thank you for that. And I think I, I said it. This sounds weird. I'm sitting here like analyzing. I'm, I'm like play by play breaking down my sentences. All right, moving on. So I ask him my question. You know, I tell him how, you know. Okay, totally lost my train of thought there. Let me start over. So I say, yeah, my, um, Garrett Bencourt, author of book, you know, a couple of fiction books. I read your book, Be Obsessed or Be Average, and it was just a huge honor. Uh, it's a huge honor to be here, something along those lines. And uh, and then I just, I had to read my question a little bit, and I was smart to write it down. And I just said, look, here's where I'm at. So just for background, you know, one of his major claim to fame is his book, The 10X Rule. And, you know, it goes something like this. You have a goal or a dream. And the reason why you are, going to have so much difficulty achieving that dream is because it's not big enough because most people are trying to keep their dreams small and realistic and it's a way of not actually committing to achieving what you truly want and so his whole philosophy is take whatever goal dream that you have and times it by 10 because it has to be something so exciting to you and so just something you want so badly that you'd run through a wall to get it. And the next stage is once you have that 10x goal, as he puts it, you then need to 10x your action. You need to increase your action to get there. 
Now, that is just a really incredible idea, and I've very much embraced it. And you know, his his book, Be Obsessed or Be Average, is very much along those lines because he's like, look at life, find your obsessions, and obsessions are like wood added to a fire, right? At, um, things that you love to do or that you are really passionate about, um, I guess is one way to put it, just whatever it is that just gets you out of bed in the morning, just fuel that. Put as much wood on that fire as you can so it's burning so hot and so bright that you just can't help but you're just full of energy and pumped, right? And that's kind of his philosophy. So I, I am trying to live that philosophy. And I will tell you, like, it's not that I'm trying to live it. I am living it because when I read that book, I finally understood who I am as a human being. Like, for real. I understood that, you know, one of the reasons that in school I felt weird is that, I, you know, I had a lot going on in, in my imagination and a lot of th big dreams and big things I wanted. And we live in a world where there's a lot of pressure to conform and to follow the group and the crowd and big dreams and crazy ideas and, you know, visionary stuff. It's, it's all great once you're, you know, Elon Musk and you've sort of proven that you had a, that you were right. But before Elon Musk was Elon Musk, he was a guy in a basement building some weird little, you know, credit, credit card payment system called PayPal. Now he's sending rockets to Mars. So it, it on paper, it looks like, oh yeah, visionaries, you know, Thomas Edison or whoever it is, they, they seem like a visionary in the long run. But getting there, there's a lot of pressure to abandon crazy ideas. So I realized that my problem was not that I was weird or odd. My problem was I wasn't weird or odd enough, meaning I wasn't leaning into the things that I was obsessed with. I was trying to, I was trying to tone them down. And that's sort of what led me to drinking and a lot of other vices and problems in my life. So I do live it. And I've run into a lot of other personal development messages that kind of conflict with the 10x rule. And they say, you know, oh, 10x is all well and good, but you're going to burn out, man. You got to have balance and you can't burn yourself out. And I have to admit, I wonder about that because I have really struggled with feeling lazy, feeling like I'm not good enough, you know, and then not getting enough done on a daily basis. And, and then I have people tell me, Garrett, you never stop working. You work so hard. Like you're always working. You're doing so much. And I'm like, I feel like I'm not doing anything. It's the weirdest phenomenon. And so my question for Grant was this. You say whenever, you know, never reduce the target. So meaning you have a goal. Let's say your goal is I want to make $100,000 this year, right? And that's your goal. He says never downsize the goal. Increase your action to reach the goal, right? And that sounds great. But what if you literally had like, well, in my case, I have several goals. I'm writing a screenplay. I want to sell books. I have, you know, my day job, which I'm trying to get out of. But while I'm there, you know, it's it's paying the bills. And there's a lot of other things in my life I want to achieve as well, personally, professionally, financially, fitness-wise, 
right? And a lot of people are constantly giving me advice that, hey, you got to let something go. You got you to gotta move something off your plate, man. And Grant says, you know, no, don't reduce your target, increase your action. Well, so my question was this, how do I increase my action when I am burnt out, when I got nothing left, when there is no gas in the tank, when I am overwhelmed? Like, what do I do? And he, and so he says to me, um, he says, well, what's your goal? And I said, okay, well, I'm sweating so bad at this point. I am just like, I'm like, I can feel the beads of sweat form. I can't believe it. It's not even hot in my house. Well, it's a little bit, but, but I wasn't even hot before I was on the call. And then suddenly I'm like sweating because I'm so nervous and I'm trying to think of, okay, uh, well, my goal is to convert sales on my book. He says, that's not a goal. There's no, that's not measurable. There's no target there. That's not a target. He said, what's your target? And I'm like, and I suddenly realized, oh shit, this is when reality sinks in. It's like, this is, I'm like working in theory here. And this guy is, he is holding my feet to the fire in front of 600 people. And I'm like, as frightening as that is, I'm like, this is what I came for. And so I said, all right. And I just threw out a number that I've been circulating. I feel like it's totally arbitrary. I don't even see the point, but I just, I threw out a number. I want this many, you know, I want to do this many thousand book sales in, I basically want to do 12,500 book sales in six months through my sales funnel. And he said, well, that he's like, that's too long. He says too long of a timeline. You're you, 12,500 for six months. You know, you're going to, that's going to slow you down because the goal's too far out. It's going to encourage you to, you know, you're going to feel like you have time. You're going to dither. You're not going to take enough action. It's going to slow you down. He's like, so what you need to do is you need to say, okay, I need to make 2,500 sales in, I need to ship 2,500 books in the next 30 days. He says, notice I didn't make your goal any smaller. I just, I just broke it into a chunk where it's going to keep your feet to the fire, basically. I'm paraphrasing what he said. That's pretty much kind of the cadence of how he said it, though. He's like, notice what I did there. So 2,500 sale. I got to ship those by 30 days. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I'm amazed by how much energy it gives me just to hear him say something like that. Like, I was like, that. it just becomes so focused and so clear. I mean, he just zeroes in on it. It's about converting real numbers into a real result. And that also was immediately kind of scary because I'm like, oh, that would mean I have a lot of work to do, right? So that was incredible. I had sort of a follow-up question too because he he has this thing, you know, fuel your obsessions. But uh, he said this on more than one occasion uh, lately, but in this call too, he's like, dude, you got to stop, you, you guys got to stop following your passions. You got to like focus on, you know, making your sales, converting and stuff like that. Quit following your passions, right? And so I'm like, I'm a little conflicted about that. It's like, well, my passion is writing. So are you saying I shouldn't do that? So I asked him like what he, what he saw as the difference between following your passions versus fueling your obsessions. You know, what's the difference? And I have to admit that was actually the first answer I got. And I was so nervous I could barely hear him when he answered it. 
um, cause I was just trying to like hold it together. And he said, uh, somebody want, he's such an oddball. He's like, well, I like to make, I like to do pranks. I like to play pranks on people. And the amazing thing about him too, is he'll say something like that and pause for like five full seconds and just let you sit with that information. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, I, I, lo- I love playing pranks. It's fun. I don't make any money playing pranks. So it's a passion of mine. I don't make any money doing it. I'm not going to make any money doing that. So, you know, I don't spend a lot of time playing pranks. <laughs> Got it. That's amazing. <laughs> By the way, that that is wisdom. Trust me, that's wisdom. So, so those are my two answers. Uh, I have a, you know, he gave me that example. My passion is playing pranks. I don't make any money playing pranks. You know. I guess I should say, how do I interpret that advice? Um, I interpret that advice to mean that if you're if you're only doing something because it's fun, um, and you're ignoring another opportunity that's attractive but maybe not as fun, but that has real monetary, um, you know, has real monetary potential for you that can move your life forward, that can get you major success, as he puts it, a vehicle for success. And you're ignoring that because of, you know, this, this kind of not very high paying passion that you're interested in. That's, you know, you're actually making your life harder because if you get in the vehicle that's going to make bring you success, you'll have time and resources to pursue something you're passionate about. But passion is not the only consideration you should have in which vehicle is going to bring you success. If your goal is success, then passion is not the only metric and it's not enough. So follow your passion. It's like, well, you can follow your passion, but will that bring you success? You know, if, you know, here, this is actually probably better, a more relevant example. I've been in a lot of writers groups and in writers groups, I've noticed there are a lot of writers that have that very old school, maybe that's an unfair, no, they have an old school mentality. Like I am an artist. I am a man or a woman, as the case may be and a typewriter, and I have a voice and something to say to the world, right? And they kind of look at it that way, and that is the most important thing. Maybe it is, I don't know, but I have never for a moment, and by the, I've never for a moment as a writer not wanted to get paid for it. And there's a very specific reason, you know, when a movie is a blockbuster and just sells out, like take, Take Black, Marvel's Black Panther, for example. The movie just blew out all the records when it came out. And I really, that is one of the most amazing and awesome success stories ever. Because number one, I knew from the beginning that that character was going to be a dynamite character to make his own movie. But there's just so much BS in the world about systemic racism and people are, you know, there's you know, we're, we're, our society is so dystopian and bigoted and there's just so much intolerance and, you know, all the, and look at all the effort 
that all these networks and, and film companies and everything pour into diversity and inclusion. And I, the truth is, I don't think it's necessary if you have a great story. So Black Panther, you know, I just knew right away, this is a great character. Marvel does great work. I bet it's going to be a great movie. And then saw the trailer. I'm like, it looked really good. And it just blew out all the records. Why? Because we were pe- we are people and we wanted to see a great movie. It didn't matter the race or the ethnicity uh, of the people in the movie. That being said, I think it was beautiful, you know, that we had a film that just featured African culture so prominently. I think that was wonderful. But my point is, it was secondary to the fact that it was just a great movie. And people are excited to see it. Now, what proved that? Money. You can do all the polls and studies you want on human behavior. You can have all the sociology professors you'd like in a line to tell you about what people think and don't think and what their personal issues are or aren't. And, and then there's dollars. What are people willing to trade their money to sit in a theater to see for two hours? Right? It's just the ultimate proof to me that there are so many people out there hungry for a great story and they don't, they do not care about the color of someone's skin in the starring role. What they want is a great story. And I just think that was a beautiful thing. So anyway, why do I bring that up? I'm not trying to get on a huge tangent about social issues, but my point is people vote with their dollars. Right. So what is the measurement of success as an artist? I think the measurement of success as an artist is how much money someone wants to pay you for your art. If that's music, if that's a painting, if that's poetry, you know, if people are willing to trade their money for your art, that's proof people want it. So I've always so that's kind of that's an element of it. But it's also like I want to be successful. I want to create something that people want. You know, and I understand if there's people who disagree with that philosophy, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. So I have always been a writer interested in that. And when I go to writers' groups, I see a lot of writers that uh, really put that third, fourth, or fifth in their list of priorities. And I don't know that I totally always believe them either, because some people, if it's not money they're after, it's often status. You know, I want to I be get picked up by a major publisher, you know, things like that. So I'm not trying to criticize anyone. Uh, I just think uh, it's just a, it's a thing I notice in the artistic crowd is a lot of people, and I'm not begrudging them, their view of things, but I don't share that view that like the purpose of art is to fiddle fart around for years and years with your, you know, what you think is your magnum opus. I think, you know, a friend of mine is, is fond of saying, publish or perish. You know who you are. So that's how I interpret that advice. Following your passion is great, but I say follow the money. Cash flow? What Uncle GC would say. And his second question uh, really did help me a lot. So bringing this back to my point. So here I am, I get it, I get this answer from Grant. The whole thing was surreal, by the way. As he was talking, it didn't, it was, I don't know, it's very strange. I have to talk about this for a second because I haven't had a lot of experience talking to like celebrity figures. There was that one time when Andy Dick ambushed me and my friends from the bushes in 
Studio City, California. But that's a story for another day. I swear to God, that's true. And that was not. That was being starstruck in the worst possible way, by the way. I haven't spent a lot of time talking to, you know, people I greatly admire. I have admired from afar. And so on one hand, it was, I think what was most surreal about it was how comfortable it actually felt. I mean, I was nervous as hell and I was sweating, but like he was just, we're just talking like he was talking to me and I was talking to him and I was asking him this question and it was, it's actually pretty easy. I have to say, uh, you know, once I kind of got in it and I just, it was, it was cool. It was just cool. But I mean, it, it was like, it just felt so surreal. I'm like, Oh dude, I'm talking to my idol right now. So it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, and then he goes on to the next question and he took like two more questions and that was it. And by that time, everyone had their hand up. There were like, you know, over 100, 200 hands up. Questions pouring into the chat. Out of, you know, hundreds of questions, he answered like five. And I was one of them. Holy cow. Can you imagine if I had hesitated to raise my hand? I didn't even know the opportunity I had. I didn't even know how precious my opportunity was. And had I hesitated, it would have been gone. Just like that. So I feel I'm just on a high from that. I am so proud of myself for flexing that muscle, fledgling though it may be, to overcome that moment of resistance and throw up my hand and ask my question, just let her rip, say my awkward, weird fanboy piece and just get to it. And it was awesome. It was just awesome. And a rare opportunity that I didn't even realize how rare it was. I, I had that instinct and it's, you know, and in retrospect, it's like, of course he was only going to answer three or four questions. I mean, the guy's like running a multi, multi, multi million dollar business. I mean, he's not, going to sit around all day just answering every single question in a crowd of 600. I mean, he really does care a lot about um, the people that he's helping. But, you know, busy man. So I'm glad I took that opportunity. And I encourage you in your life when you feel that moment of consideration, fear or doubt. Just remember. And this is as much for me as it is for you. Once you push past it, that you're gonna that muscle's gonna gain strength, and then cool things are gonna happen, and possibly sucky things. But that's also a cool thing because that's how we, that's how you experience life and adventure. Where would John Sullivan be if he just went home? If he never trained with Fernando Pavia? If he never? risked everything against Pierre Lafitte if he never set sail for the Barbary Coast. Where would he be? So that is my super awesome 10x Grant Cardone story, and I hope you enjoyed it.